Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 22 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is how to test, assess, evaluate, and audit and review your ethical culture and compliance program. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. In today's episode, I'm proud to welcome back Jackie Merrill, Senior Associate at the Volkoff Law Group, with whom I work, obviously. Uh, Jackie is going to speak today about testing and evaluating your ethical culture and compliance program. Welcome back to the podcast, Jackie. Uh, good, uh, happy it's New Year to you, here, and a happy New Year to you and to everybody else. Uh, but thank, thank you, Mike. Happy New Year to you too. And I thought, uh, and obviously my title was intended to make a point, which that whether you call it testing, evaluation, auditing, reviewing, whatever it is, uh, it seems to me that this is sort of the important issue of the day right now in compliance and something that every company, I think, has to look at carefully and schedule and figure out the right way to do it. But why, Jackie, why is it important to conduct periodic testing and reviews of a compliance program? Well, Mike, it's important for a couple of reasons. So first, the government has expressly noted the importance of testing and evaluating compliance programs in a variety of resources that they've that they've distributed. Um, first and most recently, the DOJ's evaluation of corporate compliance programs have sections that address continuous improvement, periodic testing and review, control testing, and evolving updates. And then, of course, there's the federal sentencing guidelines, the most recent iteration of which was released in 2014. Uh, and in that, they note that companies should take reasonable steps to ensure that the organization's compliance and ethics program is followed, including monitoring and auditing to detect criminal conduct and to evaluate periodically the effectiveness of the organization's compliance and ethics program. And the federal sentencing guidelines are specifically referenced and actually incorporated into a number of areas, including the United States Attorney's Manual, the uh, the resource guide that was issued in 2012, uh, put out by DOJ and the SEC relating to the uh, FCPA. So it, it sort of permeates every sort of set of guidance and even the new uh, FCPA uh, corporate uh, enforcement policy. Yep, that's that's absolutely right. And and going back to the FCPA resource guide, I mean, that also specifically notes that the DOJ and SEC are going to evaluate whether companies regularly review and improve their compliance programs and not allow them to become stale. And then finally, one thing to note for our healthcare companies out there, there's the OIG compliance program guidance, which highlights the use of audits and other evaluation techniques to monitor compliance and assist in the reduction of identified problem areas. So it's obviously important when the government uh, advises companies to do this and obviously is going to hold them accountable, but even setting that apart um, in terms of, you know, the continuous improvement of your program, um, you know, 
aside from sort of the government intervention situation, why else is it uh, important in in your mind and in your experience? Because I know you've done a, a bunch of this. Yeah, well, Mike, it it may sound cliche, but it it actually does make your company better. You can gain valuable insight. You can understand areas of focus and improvement. Um, it's a great way to determine where initiatives have been successful and to also prevent future violations, um, maximize the efficiency of your ethics and compliance program, um, a way to learn how to best allocate resources, improve your culture, and just generally to protect your corporate reputation. Um, as we always say, a good compliance program should constantly evolve and, and Testing, auditing, reviewing, evaluating, whatever you want to call it, is is a great way to ensure that that your program is growing and maturing. So uh, going back to the enforcement trends, though, what's been sort of the latest guidance uh, from the Justice Department um, and impact that this has had in terms of um, giving you incentives with regard to your ethics and compliance program? Well, the Justice Department has increased its focus on a company's commitment to a robust ethics and compliance program. Um, it, it recently adopted, as we, we mentioned uh, did we mention before, the, the new yes. SCPA corporate enforcement program uh, that offers companies the possibility of a criminal declina- declination if the company voluntarily discloses the potential violations, fully cooperates with the investigation, and implements timely and appropriate remediation. This past year, for example, two companies, uh, Lind Gas and CBM Smith, each earned a declination under the predecessor FCPA pilot program. Uh, on the flip side of the coin, companies that maintain paper compliance programs that are by definition ineffective can incur significant fines and even the dreaded corporate monitorship. Uh, testing and evaluation of your compliance program is an essential function for an effective ethics and compliance program. So let's get, uh, you know, down to more of the nitty gritty and how, you know, you want to test and evaluate your program. I mean, where do you start in that whole process? Well, in our experience there, we, we address four key steps in the testing process. So first you determine the scope And we'll talk about this a bit more in a moment, but the scope is often determined by the frequency of the testing. Second, you formulate the testing methodology. Third, you apply the methodology to the selected testing material. And finally, you analyze the results and adjust the program accordingly. Well, knowing uh, and working with you on these and knowing you've done several global companies and testing and evaluation uh, projects, um, I have to say you make it sound easy, but uh, I know there's a lot more to it. Um, so dig into it a, a little bit more. Like, for example, how often do you think a company should uh, review and test its compliance program? Well, Mike, that's a good question, and it depends. Uh, this relates to the scoping point that I just mentioned So in in determining how often a company should review its ethics and compliance program, we recommend considering a number of factors. First, and somewhat obviously, the size of the company, including the number of locations and foreign operations, the general risk profile, so taking everything from 
from your highest risk and touch points to down onto the lower ones. The predictability of business operations, um, resources from a compliance program perspective and and more generally kind of compliance program allies, resources, uh, the program maturity level and the general, the corporate culture. A general rule of thumb would be to tailor the scope of testing to the frequency of review. So a quarterly review would involve targeting testing. For example, you test gift expenditures over a six-month period. Depending on the quantity, you could sample or look through all the expenditures. An annual review might involve several areas of targeted testing. For example, you might take a look at gifts, meals, and entertainment expenditures, along with third-party compensation arrangements, for example. A A review that occurs somewhere in the range of two to five years should be broader and encompass the entire compliance program. Or you could do some combination of these. Well, a combination may be more palatable for many companies. So, for example, let's say you create a schedule for quarterly targeted reviews. But then, you know, in my mind, I I like to see a holistic review or even, let's say, one particular risk area, let's say anti-corruption program. Um, every one to three years, um, you know, and sort of have a hybrid between um, sort of the targeted reviews, the quarterly targeted reviews, and then the more holistic review. Yes, that hybrid approach is often a great use of resources and a way to break up those deep dive reviews. And, you know, you could focus your more targeted reviews on certain geographies, risk areas, or time periods. And then your broad reviews can be enterprise-wide, but colored by that concentrated testing. We've helped clients create really strong review and testing schedules with this hybrid approach. What are some, you know, you mentioned GIFs uh, in terms of uh, a specific area to test, um, but what are some other targeted areas for testing that you've you've seen and experienced? The, pos- the possibilities are vast, but you can look into tone at the top, training, due diligence. Those are all just from a compliance program perspective. You could look at vendor supplier onboarding, as you mentioned, business gifts, meals, entertainment, discounts, rebates, pricing, sponsorship and events, tenders and competitive bidding, um, depending on, you know, especially in the healthcare industry, research and development interactions with um, HCPs, charitable, political contributions, hotline and reporting. Um, One big, you know, hot ticket item these days is data security with with a lot of cyber security concerns, Um, mergers and acquisitions, joint ventures, investigations, and a culture of compliance. So some of these are more easily tested than others, as you can imagine. Anything that is quantitatively focused or transaction-based is generally going to be a bit more straightforward to test, but there are ways to test everything. So that's, and and that's a great segue into talking about testing methodology, because we always want to, you know, generate data and have measurements, and then we can sort of see trends. Um, But not everything can be quantified in that sense, the way you just talked about with transaction-based testing. 
So what are the some of the ways to evaluate a program or specific aspects of the program? There are a variety of ways to administer testing, and the best approach often depends on what you are testing. So you can utilize surveys and questionnaires, individual interviews, focus groups, and of course, as we discussed, transaction testing. Depending on which approach or combination of approaches you take, you'll then want to decide on the testing methodology from there. Your testing will likely require document requests and review, and you can conduct control-focused testing, which simplifies the creation of a testing rubric since the elements of controls are the foundation of that rubric. Um, You can also ask open-ended or multiple-choice questions when you're doing your interviews and your focus groups. So those are excellent ways to gather important information, particularly uh, you mentioned the control-focused testing, where you take a control, you read through it, and you see and you break it down into the specific elements where um, there are required activities or paperwork or confirmation of certain things. Um, And we've also seen, though, areas of improvement emerge from each of these testing methods. Um, and I want to go back to the control-based testing and uh, a little bit more detail. And then how do, like, how do the rubrics, you mentioned the, the testing rubric that you develop based upon the elements of the controls. What do they look like in that sense? Sure. We typically look at a company's policies and procedures around a certain area and with a particular focus on evidence-based controls. So some procedures may require approval forms, signatures, registrations, screening documentation, expense reports, receipts, contracts, uh, the calculation of of fair market value, um, import-export licenses, and so on. So we then create our rubric using those evidence-based controls and request the relevant evidence for a sampling of transactions. And then it's akin to grading a test. As an example, let's take a procedure for engaging third parties. The evidence includes the business justification form signed by specified parties, due diligence review, supporting documentation, legal review and approval, and then detailed invoices that reconcile with contract payment terms. At least that's the ideal procedure for engaging third parties. These are all components we test to evaluate adherence to the company's procedure. If there's an area that's omitted or needs improvement, then we note it. If the procedures were followed adequately, we note that as well. The quantitative emphasis to me, and that is really helpful, um, and it's useful, I think, as sort of a feedback uh, to the compliance managers and, and whatnot. Uh, and then that also makes, you know, you can make findings, you can present the findings in a, quantita- a quantitative way. Um, And then you can also measure it, I guess, right, over time, uh, and that's important. Right. The the data provides an excellent measuring stick and a way to quantify important components of the compliance program. And and this is a big deal because this is an area that is not often data-driven. And then I guess the question is, okay, so you test, you get some results, you're, let's say it's data-driven in that sense, and then how do you respond to the testing results and what do you do then? Well, the the Justice Department has actually highlighted this in its evaluation of a corporate compliance program 
document. Um, and it, it, so that, if you're not familiar with it, is is well, not not you, Mike, but our listeners. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I think I know it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's framed towards a scenario where some type of misconduct has occurred. So it addresses what the company has done to respond to the conduct and ensure that it does not happen again. So according to the Justice Department, the questions to consider are, has the company reviewed and audited its compliance program in the area relating to the misconduct, including testing of relevant controls, collection and analysis of compliance data, and interviews of employees and third parties? Then it asks, how are the results reported and action items tracked? And what control testing has the company generally undertaken? So those are absolutely important questions to consider. And um, and it's critical, I think, to fill in the gaps that the company discovers following testing. In other words, you have to have a remediation plan and you have to in, map it out and make sure that there's a follow-up. But um, what you know, I mean, we also have to think about what issues are important enough to raise to senior management or the board uh, and provide awareness to them. And uh, for some companies, um, the use of the quantitative data may, you know, indicate that there's a need for additional resources. So it gives you an argument on a measurable way for why you need uh, um, additional resources. You're absolutely right, Mike. And and to your point on filling in gaps, one piece of advice that we often give is to think of the critical touch points for operationalizing a program. So look at the controls, the payment systems, the approval processes, and vendor management. Think about how you can work with other functions to strengthen these areas. Along with imposing mandatory remedial steps following misconduct, you may need to repair process weaknesses. And, and it's not necessarily following misconduct, but if in the testing you see weaknesses, you, you want to take these steps to repair them. So we recommend regular check-ins and designating individuals who are responsible for oversight of these steps. You'll likely need to improve and focus certain training areas and this is one of the most difficult areas, but you might have to address general cultural concerns at your company. So when you're repairing like the process weaknesses or transact, you know, in your transactions, let's say that you're reviewing um, and then there may be changes in policies and procedures and uh, reallocation of resources. Um, we're not always saying that you need like to add more to every control, um, you know, one one thing and that that we've seen as well, Jackie, and I'm sure you, you would agree with this, is that there sometimes are unnecessary and burdensome procedures that can be updated or tailored to the specific risk profile. And even uh, you know, the use of technology um as a substitute for resource issues. In other words, the testing may justify the need for a technology, let's say a third-party risk management platform or something like that. Absolutely. And there are, it seems to be, there's a new one popping up every day. There are a lot of really great compliance resources out there. So I, we, we obviously are big proponents for automating procedures. So, and although we are, you know, in this podcast, we're a bit in the trees here. Don't, we want to urge you to not lose sight of the forest. So think of developing 
trend criteria and analysis. This is a, a great way to show this testing over, you know, regular testing over a period of time is a great way to show the growth of a compliance program. And then that, of course, is a lead on lead in for me to, you know, harp on uh, one of my repetitive themes, which is documentation. So every step of the way that, that you're, you've described in this process here, there be it scoping, methodology, your testing results, what remediation and action items or monitoring plan or monitoring of your remediation plan uh, is just to make sure that everything is documented uh, or else you don't have proof that you, that you actually considered these issues and came up with something. Right. You definitely want an audit and testing trail to show your efforts. Plus, if you're like me, you may need a written reminder to jog your memory of something that occurred last year. <laughs> right. Well, you're young, so you should have a better memory than anybody. So uh, one, other, one other important aspect to think about, though, is whether, you know, who do you want to conduct the internal review or do you want to have an outside party conduct the evaluation? And I know this is a shameless plug for us in some sense, but I've also told people that, you know, internal audit uh, can be very helpful in this. Um, people have asked me, can we have internal audit do these periodic assessments? And I think for sure, uh, if they're able to with, you know, their workload. Um, and compliance, we've, uh, you know, Jackie, we worked with one client this past year that created their own sort of internal review function uh, within their compliance uh, program. Or you could have legal to help out. All of this that you can do internally, I think, is going to save time and resources uh, because the people know the company better. Uh, there are values, though, in bringing in an external team uh, that may not know the company as well, but they bring independence. And obviously, if it's a law firm like ours, uh, we bring with it uh, attorney-client privilege. But that's, you know, that's our shameless plug for the podcast, I guess. Right. And I, we, we spoke earlier about the hybrid approach where, you know, you, you could do some testing that's targeted on a certain time period or geography or, or certain focus area and then maybe doing broader, more enterprise wide risk assessments on a longer term basis. And so, I mean, perhaps consider doing some of the tests, the targeted testing on your own and then bringing someone in for the broader or vice versa. So, but, but as you mentioned, the Volkov Law Group would love to help you review your program, assist with testing, or the formulation of a testing approach, which you can do on your own, um, or to provide oversight of implementation. So, as you said, we have, to, we have to get that shameless plug out there. Right. Well, thanks, Jackie. Thanks, really, for your time and your insight today. Uh, this is a really important um, topic. I think it's a very valuable topic for, for people, um, you know, to, uh, to pursue. You know, we've all been implementing and helping people implement programs, and now it's sort of the time to take a look and evaluate your program and see what needs to be done uh, next. But anyways, if people want to reach you, Jackie, uh, what's the best way to reach you? If they have questions or they want to talk to you about any of this, what's the best way to do that? Sure, my my email is jmerrill, M-E-R-R-I-L-L, at volkovlaw.com. And it's been my pleasure to be here, Mike. Thanks so much for, for having me on the podcast.
Great. Thank you again, Jackie. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested in the company, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.bolkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our new podcast series. You can contact me at my email address, mbolkoff at bolkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals.